Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. What does unity mean? to someone who has cracked the code of vibrational intelligence. Listen in today as we explore the promise of world unity through the eyes and ears of an Emmy award-winning musician. I'm gonna ask him to address awareness fragmentation and then dive into the secrets for developing deeper presence and heightened states of oneness through music sound intriguing. We're also going to expand into the whole topic of unity because it's so important in our world today and with World Unity Week. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Gary Malkin is a multiple Emmy award-winning composer, performer, public speaker, and music and health innovator who empowers the world to embrace music and sound strategies as catalysts for health, wellness, and a connection to what matters most. He's dedicated to redefining music's role in healthcare with a particular focus on developing listening tools to support patients, care providers, and families who are facing life transitions at both the beginnings and endings of life. He's also dedicated to creating productive work environments through ambient strategies that generate sonic fields of heart-centered mindfulness. And he is so much more than that. He has an incredible bio. I encourage you to go to the show's page or go to his website, which I'm going to tell you about later. And check out Gary's bio. It's such an honor to have him with us here today. So welcome, Gary. Oh, Julie, it's so great to be on the phone with you on the radio show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I know the power of voice and the voice frequency, but the power of music and this vibrational frequency and the love and care that you bring to it to the world is incredible. So Gary, you know, I have a traditional first question on my radio show because I've told you about it. And I would be remiss if I didn't pause first to ask you, if you could share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Mm, Wow. Well, um, you know, I have always lived my life through my heart. I've always been feeling like love is all there is. So before I understood the concept of the quantum unified field, I knew that all I needed to do was feel this radical trust in the oneness of everything and that love is all there is. And then I would feel this sense of uh, open-hearted, whole, as Brene Brown says, wholehearted connectedness, right? But now what it means to me is what now that I understand that scientifically the, the physicists, the quantum physicists really understand that the, the, everything is literally uh, connected at the 
tiniest quant, you know, quanta, the tiniest photon level to the largest galaxy, it's all connected through this quantum field, the plasma of the energetic push and pull of the universe. So for me, all things connected is a profound recognition of the reality of, <laughs> of all of us being of the same stuff, right? You know, the, the DNA that we share with rocks and trees and animals and, and even the stardust that we're made of. So there's, it's just a profoundly literal and poetic expression of the oneness of all that is. And it keeps on, the more I grow, the less uh, I know, you know, the less, <laughs> I just know that. That's all I know. That we're connected. Mm. I love that. I think that's true with me after eight years of doing this show, too. The more I know, the more I know I don't know. And thanks for bringing in that poetic expression. I I trust our listeners today are going to feel your poetic expression, even though your main expression in this on this planet right now is through music. It does come as poetry. Your music is poetry. So, Gary... I fell in love with you at the first keystroke (laughs) and maybe (laughs) you can explain how that works later. But first I want to hear more about your personal story. You are a multi Emmy award winning artist. You have rocked Hollywood and have had lots of success with numerous awards, movies, TV commercials, and so much more. Yet your life has really deepened in unexpected ways and you know unity from the inside out. Can you just share with us a little about your journey and what brings you to this moment of presence through that trajectory that you've taken so far in your life? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Julie. Um, you know, I suppose everyone that goes through a life of pursuing success externally runs into this sooner or later where they they suddenly realize that what they were pursuing was to try to prove something that was started a long time ago as a child. So for me, I grew up with a very, uh, you know, war hero dad, you know, a typical man. And I was anything but a typical boy. I, you know, I, I was, I, I didn't really identify with the, the, the male model, so to speak. And I was very emotional and, um, and I wore my heart on my sleeve. So a lot of, and I, and I endured a lot of um, being made fun of by my brothers and my brother and sister, right. Uh, when I was younger. So I had this intense empathy for people that were made fun of and that cruelty that comes, you know, even though I loved my family, that was what it was like. So I had a vengeance to be successful and almost like I'll show them kind of thing. And, and with that energy, you can only go so far before you crash. So I, you know, I built the biggest music production company in the Bay area. I did national, regional, international commercials. I did over a thousand commercials and over a hundred responsible documentaries and feature films and blah, blah, blah. But in- inevitably when you look for the external world as the validation of your value, invariably you have to finally crash. And I, I say jokingly to people, don't try this at home, you know, because I, I had such an intense uh, ambition to succeed and I crashed, you know, and mm-hmm. that crash was the divine intervention of the recognition of impermanence, of our ultimate essential fragility. And who knew at that point in my life that 
being felled, literally. You know, I had a very serious bicycle accident. I didn't know I'd ever play the piano again for a whole year. I had to go to physical therapy and, and also lost my marriage during that period. And it was the worst time of my life. But what I realized was in the rubble of that, I read this book at the time, Callings by Greg Lavoie, a great book about redefining your sense of purpose. And I thought, you know, what do you really want to do? I've been living a charmed life, creating music for a living. But what do you really want to do? And that's a great question. What do you want? And during that reevaluation period, I was gifted with this extraordinary opportunity to write a piece of uh, work that was serving people in the, in the, in the crosshairs of death, dying, and illness, right? Well, I was in the middle of being very broken. Everything I had lost, I, thank God I didn't lose my life or my daughter, but I lost everything else. And in the rubble of the recognition of my impermanence came this new understanding of, 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 a, of a being that was connected to my own internal God source rather than the need to have the world reflect my value either through profile or profit or prestige, right? So that, that I'll stop there for now, but that was the turning point where I decided that Hollywood no longer had, uh, I would do things if it was adding value to the world. And that's when I made the decision that no matter what, I would look at life as life happening for me, not to me. And I would change my whole worldview rather than looking for the outside for my meaning. I would start to explore what would it look like if I started to connect to the inside more. That was when the turning point happened 20 years ago, 23 years ago, actually. Mm. What a, a beautiful story to tell. And I really appreciate the the humility and vulnerability of of really telling that story from the inside out that looks not only at the impermanence but that that plight and we're going to talk about separation here and and i i feel like um that wake up was also this the universe wanting to come through and create co-create with you something so beautiful so you know we're all expressions of an already existing wholeness this inherent unity with all life um and we're we're an undivided whole living system right one planetary super organism coming together to experience ourselves as whole and and it to me it's like the universe is saying gary we have some work to do together. Gary, come in and co-create so this unity experience can be more embodied. So when did you first experience, perhaps you've had these experiences before that wake-up call 20 years ago, but Gary, when did you first experience an embodied sense of our prior unity? And, and how has that experience and realization helped shape your work today? Wow. Um, God, first of all, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be with you, Julie. Your, your languaging and your consciousness is such a joy to be around. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Essential wholeness. I love that phrase. So, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for me, I know this sounds kind of um, implausible, but I was at a friend's house. I was five years old. I didn't know the friend very well, and I was waiting for my mother to pick me up from this into this new community that we had just moved to. And I was wandering in the house, and I saw this black, shiny object in the living room, and it had these white and black things on it, and I, I was drawn to it. And I 
touched one of these things that I turned out to be one of the ivory keys. And honestly, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm probably making part of this up, but in my, in my mythopoetic memory, <laughs> I remembered like, it felt like Dorothy leaving the black and white tornado strewn house and opening the door. And suddenly there was living color in, in, uh, <laughs> in Oz or, you know, in whatever that land was that she landed in. <laughs> and I, because I grew up in a family where presence, that sense of the thing that a baby needs from the moment they're born, where their eyes are the transmission of, I got you, I see you, I, I'm with you, I have your back, that energy just didn't exist. And I don't think I'm alone in this. I think most legacies for the last multiple generations, through all the suffering and, and trauma and abuse, and in my case, my Russian, my Russian Jewish heritage and the poverty of my multi-generational family um, of through that, you know, hundreds of years through the, the shtetls of Russia, I had no presence, right? There was none. And suddenly I touched this note and it gave back the, it's sort of like an echo of presence from the universe. It was like, I'm here and I'm sounding and you're here, and it's what you, it, it had some sort of amazing effect on me, and then suddenly I played another note, and suddenly it became a melody, and then the right hand felt really empty, and I went to the left hand and intuitively found harmony, just, and I'm playing, like, music that I've heard, and my mother walks in the door and says, the mother's friend, and my, the friend's mother says, I didn't know he's studying piano, and she says, I didn't either. <laughs> and so I think that that in the early years, that's why I wanted to be a composer from like seven years old. I, st I was making up music as I went along. And what I noticed was when I played music, I felt at one with, I, I, you know, I didn't use the language there, but I felt at one with everything. And it was a, a respite, a sanctuary for me to go in and feel presence that was not human made. It was presence that was from the field itself and from the sculpted vibration of music itself. And that's why I've often said that music raised me. I, I, I you know, I, I'm grateful to my family and my parents for what they did. And I loved them very much, but, but the, the experience of being met with presence and spaciousness really started from the moment I touched the piano at five years old. Mm. Gary, that's beautiful. And I'm going to just say, I I don't believe you made up a mythopoetic memory here. I believe it has that mystical truth of the field informing you and your life path from that early age. And right. to me, what a what a gorgeous story. I can just see that five-year-old in the, the awe touching the first key, which is what I said to you just a minute ago. I fell in love with you at the first key. You know, it was just like <laughs> one key, and it was like there was this resonance. There was this this force, this power that touched deep inside of me into my sense of prior unity. What is that? What have you learned about music and your epic odyssey of exploration into sound and vibration and music since that five-year-old little boy? I can just see him touching that piano and being just taken into an alternative beautiful sacred sanctuary like you say so what what do you know 
now from your lived experience and and what science is teaching us and what your intuition is telling you how does sound do this for us oh my god well it's you know for me to actually answer that would be hubris i mean because it is an ultimate mystery really yeah you know sound music is i love uh, john ortiz wrote a book called the Tao of music and he said music is the celebration of life right it's um it's so it's life it says music is life celebrating itself right i love that phrase Um, what comes to mind although i don't know if the direct answer is just another pivotal memory that had a phenomenal impact on me and um to this day i'll never forget it i must have been about nine or ten years old i was what i now know is going through recovering from a massive trauma in my family when my father left the family for another woman for a year and and at a time when i really wanted my dad to show me that i could be my own kind of boy rather than his kind of man you know and it was really a horrible loss and it was what ironically pushed me further into the piano. My mother used to pay my friends a dollar to go and get me out off the piano and play outside when I was seven and eight. Get him out of the house. You know. but, but when I was nine or ten, I used to milk having a little fever. And in those days, they had like four networks, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS, right? And they used to play this thing in New York called, I grew up in the suburbs of New York, and they called it the Million Dollar Movie. And then this week, they were playing that famous, iconic, classic film called The Miracle Worker, starring Patty Duke and Anne Bancroft. And for those of you who are too young to know what that film is, I highly recommend you see it. Um, It's one of the most beautiful films on so many levels. And it was at this moment in the film where the first half of the movie, uh, Helen Keller is trying to be taught by um, Miss Sandy Sullivan how to use sign language. And she was completely locked out from the world. You know, she was, couldn't speak. She couldn't hear. It was, you know, and they really portrayed this painstaking experience of someone who was so cut off, right? When I look back now, Julie, who doesn't feel cut off in this fragmented world? Who doesn't feel malnourished from presence and a connection to people really showing up and saying, I see you, I have your back, right? Well, for me, I had my own issues at the time. And I remembered the scene of the water pump scene, which is a very famous, iconic film moment where she, and, and Helen finally gets it. She touches the ground and groaned, you know, and water. And it's this amazing moment. But early in the scene, right before the revelation of Helen Keller finally relenting, is this high, subliminal, very quiet string line that comes in. And because I was so tuned into music, my ear went to it immediately. It was designed to be subliminal. And so no one one would know. It would sneak in Mm -hmm. incrementally, which is the nature of film scoring, is it goes under and reflects the, and and really foreshadows the emotional resonance that the director wants you to feel in order to be impacted, right? But I noticed it right away. And suddenly, as a nine-year-old or 10-year-old, I was, I can't explain it. It was phantasmagorically aware of the score that was manipulating my emotions the urge for Helen Keller to be desire to reach the out, to be connected, the need for Annie to reach and impact her so that she can finally get mm. that she wasn't alone. There were all these forces going on. And it, it, what I didn't know then is it mirrored the part of me 
that felt exactly like Helen Keller, completely cut off and misunderstood and having no one there for me. And even though I had tons of attention for being a prodigy, it wasn't the same, you know? And I started to sob. It was a breakthrough as the music swelled and it was an extraordinary moment. And that moment, my mother comes up, what's wrong? You know, Cause it was a school day and I was, had a slight fever and I couldn't even speak. And what I remember was, I want to manipulate people's hearts. It's a bad word, but I, I want to, I want to be a force that will crack people's hearts open so that people can live with their hearts on their sleeves like me. So I don't have to feel so alone and we could we'd be able to crack people's hearts open and, 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 and serve one another in the wounds that make us feel separate. And that was when I decided I wanted to be a film composer. But what I didn't realize was I really wanted to be what my real purpose is, was using music to really awaken that sense of a remembrance of who we really are connected to the field of the oneness of God, whatever you call it. That was the moment when I made that decision and it was very conscious and it was something I'll never forget. Wow. I love that because we all can relate to that, that power of the arts to do that. And, and you connecting at the underscore, I don't even know, uh, you know, the, the whole musical part, but last night I watched a movie for the first time, Gary, since the COVID came out, you know, there's not a lot of new in the, the theaters and the theaters were closed. And, and I usually don't sit down to watch TV. And last night, for some reason, I um, turned on a movie and I have to tell you, I cried and cried and cried. And I was very aware afterward how the arts of uh, how the producers, directors created an experience so I could really mirror that and connect with that. I know the story. I have a best friend who has lived the story in that movie. And when I was done, I realized that that music and how they set it up helped to tell her story to connect me deeper. I mean, this is a 12-year friendship and I've I, I, I recognized last night how I've lived her experience on the surface and I've never dived deep down in to feel her grief and her pain until I watched that movie and the music helped me go in deeper. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a perfect segue, Julie, to the concept that I developed, well, that I discovered called alchemical, I call it alchemical wisdom. Because when you think about it, the art of film scoring is the art of creating an emotionally resonant field that basically disarms our defenses and makes us feel more porous, empathic, compassionate, and connected to our emotional field, right? And, but ironically, because of the, you know, the profit motive, no one's ever felt like that art form could be applied to the awakening of consciousness and the and the healing of the fragmentation of our, and the subjugation of our hearts and souls. Who would ever do that? There's no monetary model purpose for it, right? right, right. You, want to, you want to get your ticket, you know, buy your ticket for the movie, but to open people's hearts and souls so they remember who they are, who's going to pay for that? And what business model would that work, right? Well, of course, I was stupid enough to find out that that was part of my destiny. 
<laughs> but I, but when I, when Michael and Doris Stillwater, who are my partners in the first in the project I'm most known for now, which is that piece, it's a piece called Graceful Passages, a Companion for Living and Dying, celebrating its 20th anniversary uh, since its release 20 years ago. It it was taking the art of film scoring and applying it to essence, to tenderness, to authenticity, expressed through someone of great spiritual depth that we, we interviewed the recordings of Ramdas and Thich Nhat Hanh and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross before she died and Rabbi Zalman Schachter and, and Tuwey Min, the, the Confucianist scholar from Harvard and the director of the ecumenical department of the, of the Vatican, Father Maximilian Nietzsche. And we asked if you were going to die tomorrow, what would you say to the person you most love in this world? And we wouldn't just accept the first half hour. We'd get, go deeper and deeper until suddenly, through relenting, unrelenting insistence, they dropped into what I call the big-ass self because all of a sudden tears and chills came into my body. It was almost like the presence of their higher self was recorded on tape. Right? And I went there, Houston, we've made contact, and we, we edited that section. And I scored it to an 80-piece orchestra at Skywalker Sound way back in 1999. And that work was the birth of this genre that truly, Julie, I believe it's one of the spokes of the wheel that is important for the thriving of our world. It's because, you know, it's about recognizing that we, our attention and our capacity to be fully engaged in the wisdom of our hearts and souls and bodies, you know, the, each of those elements have a vibrational frequency that's different than the linear rational mind. Have you noticed how quickly our minds work and how hard sometimes it takes for the heart and soul to catch up and how quickly we can make decisions based on a linear rational mind that didn't take into account the moral or values or emotional or spiritual ramifications of that decision? What, if, what about splitting up Europe in 1945? And what if they had cultural, ethnic, artistic performances of all the tribes that we'd be wiped out before they redrew the map of Europe? You know, these are, these, anyway, I, I could go on forever. I really get very passionate about this. But it's what, that's what we did. And we released this work around helping people come to a, a, a healthy awareness of how death, dying, and illness is a part of the cycle of life that brings forth the greatest fruit, which is a radical gratitude for the preciousness of life itself. Mm. And when you live through that gratitude, that's where the connected to everything comes in. Mm. You're listening to the wisdom of Gary Malkin here. I'm Julie Kroll. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to explore more with Gary and this amazing yumminess that he's just bringing in with his alchemical, <laughs> alchemical power of the arts. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. I know this isn't any fun to talk about, but we should. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Where to be found. Batteries? Dead. Great. Emergency supply kits? Not packed. No. What about blankets? We have an old towel. Good enough. Cell phones? May not work. Uh, emergency water? Not a drop. And what about food? Nope. Perfect. 
We all know where we're meeting if we're separated, yeah? The library! Aunt Joan's house. The bus stop. Great. And I'll be waiting here wondering where you all are. Sounds like we don't have a plan. Who's up for mini golf? Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Visit ready.gov slash kids for tips and information. A public service announcement brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers. People who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org slash invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. On the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and our planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration. You can sign up at juliecrawlemail.com. Again, that's juliecrawlemail, K-R-U-L-L, email.com. I'm here today with Gary Malkin. We are talking about music and unity and the power of this alchemical. Oh, wow. Uh, everything, everything here. I'm just like, I'm, I'm getting intoxicated on it. You can find <laughs> about Gary at wisdomoftheworld.com. That's wisdomoftheworld.com or go to the show page. You'll see Gary's bio there and the link to his website. Wow, Gary, I'm still in, I am 
I am getting intoxicated in the conversation because it's my passion and you know I love the arts and this is such an important um I just want to pause and breathe with our listeners to reflect on what you said before the break because it it's not a poetic um a mythopoetic illusion that we can harness this power of music to heal. We can create an alchemical pathway for our deepening into this um, presencing and our expansion of that unitive consciousness, the awakening that you talked about. So I just want to, I want to bring us right back there and, and just ask you how, how we, how do we deepen our capacity to be fully present with empathy and compassion in all these aspects of life now with this, this whole idea that this sound frequency is a healing field itself, let alone yeah. words and the actions that we take for healing. So I'm just going to let you expand into that you've used it with grief you've and loss you've used it with the transitions of, of birth and i'm just i'm just really curious about how you would bring us into that deepening and that um like i said in the even the the intro that whole expansion of that consciousness wow i, I the space of your listening is so inspiring to me and the way you're being, you know, the way you're hearing what I'm saying is, is a, a reflection of the connection that we have. That's, that's, you know, as part of the imaginal cells and the butterfly of life that we're all part of creating. <clears throat> Just think about this for a minute. I know you have for sure. When we know that breath, like the, the you know, the holotropic breathing or, or intentional breathing can actually bring us into altered states. That is another example of the best things in life are free, that literally changing the oxygen in our bodies can change the clarity of our consciousness, right? Well, we have the ability to drop into even deeper accelerated states of connectivity just by giving tone. Ah, ah, singing in the shower, in the, just a note is a, is a profound way of dropping into the the you know, the ohm of the, of the universe, the field of the oneness of the universe, right? Well, what I say right now is that we are experiencing the most dangerous epidemic, and I'm not talking about COVID. The dangerous epidemic is the belief that we are human doings, thinking, solvings, analyzings, you know, we're everything defined by the monopoly of the linear rational mind. We love the mind. We don't want to throw it out, but we want it to be our our servant, not our, not our tyrant, right? That's the way I, Einstein said a quote like that. So what I am I'm noticing is that that famous quatrain from Joni Mitchell's song, uh, Parrot Paved Paradise, it goes, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone. You know that line, Julie, mm -hmm. you've heard it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what, I, what I am thinking is that God, the universe, the field is, is so blatantly providing a divine intervention to all of us now because what's happened with, with COVID that is that everybody's down to linear, linear, rational, primarily linear, rational communication on zoom. Right. And 
it's given us this opportunity to notice what's missing. <laughs> mm. The nutrients, the nutrients of biofield, the nutrients of ways to feel connected the way we do when we're connected in proximity with one another. And I actually think that it's almost like a divine intervention that is asking us to identify almost like a child, what's missing, right? What's missing, we have to find, we have to find a way to hack the lack of bio, of bio proximity, right? And music has a destiny to fulfill that will enable us to feel connected to the quantum field, to the universe, to the, as you would say, always connected to all that is, right? Or however you say it, mm -hmm. it's the same concept, right? And so I'm really working um, I, I'm, I'm trying, you know, like how when on Zoom, there's a photograph in the back that creates this visual that people get all kind of, you know, the images get all kind of gnarly <laughs> when you're looking at them and they have these beautiful images behind them, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Zoom is trying, what are they trying to do? They're trying to create an emotional response to some sense of normalcy because we're not with each other in different spaces, right? Mm -hmm. But where, where's the sonic approach to that? Since we are, Listening itself is a source of awakening consciousness, right? And so when we can use contemplative music or music that slows us down to actually enhance, you know, biohack our capacity to feel that connectivity to ourselves, to God, to what's meaningful to us and to each other. And what I believe is really yet to come is a universal understanding that who we are when we show up on these calls is a fragmented version of ourselves where maybe 10% of us is heart, soul, and body, and 90% is all linear rational communication because we live in a culture that says the only credible way to communicate is through our words and our, and our facial expressions, right? Or even in this case, just our words on the radio, right? So I am on a mission. What could we design that would enable us to feel the the inherent connectedness, this essential wholeness that you talk about. And I believe that music has a destiny to fulfill that can actually catalyze that. And I'm on a mission to create what I call the Zen zones. You know, these, uh, these mm. experiences where people use music to slow down enough that to the way Greg Braden and Bruce Lipton would say, to allow our mitochondria to align through coherence and stillness. I know this sounds so rhetoric heavy. I don't mean it to, but what allows our cells to align to the unlimited potential of the field. And, and we need training wheels. And I think music has this compelling capacity as we've seen in movies and as we see in a lot of other forms to drop us into the present moment like nothing else. And I wish I could play an example of that on the radio, but, but uh, that's, my, uh, that's what I want to say in response to your question. I, I just want, I want to share in the recognition that we are not showing up with our essential wholeness when we end up being able to talk and just have linear rational functioning. That's not enough any longer to me. Yeah, I, I'm with you, brother. And I, just to, to pull the thread of, of this, you, you call it the epidemic of separation with that linear rational mind piece. I love um, that you're bringing in the nutrients of the biofield, but then talking about music as the hack, you know, like literally 
we've demonstrated that movies and writing that score, like the art of film scoring, we've all experienced the real results in real time right. of that. Exactly. That's an art and we know it and we, we, we get it. And so hearing this today that we can literally create the art of awakening scoring. You know, it's like, it's no, yeah. longer, it's no longer film scoring. It's life and the soul. And that, um, just like you said, that, that deeper connection that we have with all life. Like we feel alive through music often. Right. Well, and again, it's not all music was created with the intention to heal, awaken and connect. And just like that black magic and, and white magic, there is music that can actually distract us, that, can, that is misogynist. And it's, you know, it's all the things that, it, that, that we humans can be on the darker mm-hmm. side of things, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like, you know, if we can use this force for good uh, around the universal principles, uh, th- this is one of the things that, that – by because we're in a crisis right now, Julia, around the assimilation of grief. You know, my friend and your friend, Barbara Marks Hubbard, who I loved her and she, we were friends for many years. She talks about the noosphere, and, and I'm sure she doesn't define it this way, but I've come to know the noosphere or believe the noosphere is the sum total of all the unresolved traumas and wounds and and that that have happened since time immemorial to human beings and to all life, right? And right now we're at a crisis where there's more unexpressed grief and unassimilated grief and unacknowledged grief because of the COVID crisis than at any other time in human history, um, just by the sheer numbers of it, right? And what I've heard from a famous grief expert, Dr. Ken Druck, is that all aberrated behavior can be explained pretty much 90% of it or more by unassimilated, unaddressed grief and loss and trauma, right? So we're sitting on a powder keg right now. And if we don't combat the, the cultural meme that says we can't talk about our losses, our traumas, our wounds, and our, the deaths of the lows we love, then we're in a rock between a rock and a hard place. We have to connect what I call lost literacy to the awakening of unity on the planet. They're completely correlated. And to me, it's the boulder in front of the road towards unity is the, un, the lack of understanding grief's role in enabling us to feel. Because what's the other side of grief? Love. We grieve what we love. We mm-hmm. grieve what we care about most. People think love is opposite of love is hate. No, it's loss. It's grief, you know, it's amazing. I never realized that before. But that's, so I just think we all have to show up to this crisis right now by being those warriors of wholeheartedness that my, my hero, Brene Brown, talks about, which is the vulnerability, the root, is the essence of our authenticity and our vulnerability and our, and our innocence. We all have to reframe what bravery and courage is in terms of being willing to have a, a broad emotional range, including mourning. And you don't have to stay there. You have to go there, release it, and move on to the beauty and joy of life. That's our job as human beings. Mm. There's so much wisdom right there. I want to just, um, I'm going to pause and I'm going to really put you on the spot because you you bring up this 
powerful connection with the grief and where we're going with unity as this big boulder in the road. And I think that there's so much truth to that. We probably all can feel it. I felt it last night when I was literally grieving and and bawling watching this movie by by the unexpressed grief that I had within. So I'm going to put you on the spot here because you're such a wise one with deep, meaningful connections to this realm and other realms and, and really a lot of really um, beautiful connections and relationships around the world of whom you've worked. So when you pause and reflect on world unity, we're doing this show right before World Unity Week and we're going to air it out and I'm going to really highlight all of these unity interviews and put them together for our listeners. So you're talking about these changes and challenges of our times. And I trust you're seeing this larger evolutionary pattern as you're speaking here, a more global view of what's happening from your perspective and the passion and this pursuit that you have now for this this hack and and the relationship and role of music can you share what is your vision of the future of humanity and life on our planet here when it comes to you were you were right there with the alchemical healing response of, of music and grief moving us past that boulder what's your vision as how how do we get beyond the boulder or literally dissolve the boulder that's on the path what what's the vision of the future of humanity and our planet past that oh god i just love these the depth from which the question comes it's almost like your questions are transmissions in and of themselves mm. and and they're just literally meant to be favored and experienced so beautiful um well th- so my vision is uh, you know there's a woman named julie Gerland who created, I think it was called the, um, the Heaven on Earth Initiative, the Heaven on Earth Prenatal Initiative. And she deemed, what if, through the United Nations, what if every pregnant woman was declared a sacred, sacred site? Mm. Right? And because what we know now is babies that are experiencing suffering in the womb from nourishment, lack of nourishment, emotional, physical you know, trauma of any kind or stress, they develop anatomical brains that are disposed to look through the eyes of fear mm. because the world is not safe. And anatomically, parts of the brain develop differently than babies that are actually in a place of where their needs are met, right? So the two doorways of, how, of securing birthing and dying as opportunities for the sacred remembrance of the connection of the circle of life are, to me, the trim tab leverage points that could ensure a world that thrives because when we know that we are seen and held and loved from that earliest time, we develop the courage and the wisdom to look through the eyes of the field itself, which is what Einstein asked, you know, was asked, what is, is the universe a friendly place? And he said, that's the most important question towards the end of his life to ask when you decide that the universe is a friendly place, when you experience that we create a world that's heaven on earth together. So what I see is that from the earliest age, children are taught the concept of whatever you call it. I call it lost literacy or transition literacy. When a kid breaks your toy at four years old, and instead of going into blame and freak out, you let the person cry, 
and you go through some sort of ho'opono, you know, some sort of forgiveness process mm-hmm. after you've felt it fully, people need to develop the skill set to acknowledge loss, feel it, drop it, move on, and feel the gratitude for life itself. And you're, you notice how you felt last night after that cry, Julie. I'm sure you felt blessed. Yeah, absolutely. Beauty to feel, right? Yeah. So I do think that it, that is why, you know, when emotional intelligence came into the culture, it was a massive contribution because we suddenly recognized more than IQ and EQ and how we behave and how we co-create, how we collaborate, how we, how we create community was suddenly on front burner now. And the, the next evolution of knowing is the inclusiveness of the intelligences of our, of our heart and soul and body and mind. That is what I call VQ, vibrational intelligence. So the grief piece and the bonding piece is where we would really impact. Uh, and, and frankly, the work that I did on the movie Thrive, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but the, the new sequel just came out that you can go to thriveon.com and see it for free right now for a few more weeks. But it's a phenomenal, even though it's a phenomenal conversation starter, even if you don't agree with everything, when you simply recognize that everything's connected is why I love your work so much, Julie, is that awareness to know. And it's like when Brian Swim said, the world was once molten lava and now sings opera that we're connected on a dna level to the cell Mm -hmm. to the earth itself we came out of the earth you know that's a cataclysmic massive paradigm worldview shift and this is requiring that as well as a worldview shift that lets go of the protection of loss as something that you're afraid to go to but you turn into the skid allow it to be felt and go through a process of turning the lemons into lemonade. That to me is why I feel optimistic about the Mm -hmm. future because there's only one way to go with this, which is to to divulge it, to let everybody feel the power of authenticity. When you're in front of somebody like that, there's an awe that comes and a silence and a rest that comes when you're in the presence of that. And I'm just, I'm just standing for the belief that that's what's going to be inheriting the earth. Mm. Wow, I just want to pause with that, Gary. That's just a really um, poignant pathway forward that um, a lot of our visionaries and thought leaders, you know, we're talking about the evolution of consciousness and the awakening and we're, we're, you know, we're all there and bringing us through that grief and really... um, like normalizing it again is such a powerful invitation that some may try to avoid, but really I I do believe that's a pathway right through like a laser beam right through that boulder. So thank you for that. And you know, I one one more, one more short thing. Sure. Not all music was created for this purpose. And I hope I shamelessly want to self promote that the music that I've been developing at wisdomtheworld.com is music that's designed to be training wheels for this kind of inquiry, for mm-hmm. this kind of action, because it's music that basically says, listen to me, meaning the music, listen to you. It's inviting you to listen to you and to your God connection rather than the artistry of Mozart or Beethoven, which is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but not all music was created for the purpose of stopping and being comfortable with presence itself. Mm-hmm. And then I just need to say that. So all, if all yeah. you do is ever just sing at home in the shower, you're giving yourself the vibraceutical of an ohm that will bring you further to your evolutionary development in your life, you know? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Okay, so we just have a few minutes. I want to make sure our listeners heard that. Go to wisdomoftheworld.com and you can experience that for yourself. I wanted to ask you a question and I only have about a minute. So in a minute or less, and um, perhaps it seems so weird and out there, but I really wanted to hear what you, how you define awareness fragmentation. I put that in the intro and I haven't asked you about it yet. What is awareness fragmentation? I think we've just solved it in this last 56 minutes. <laughs> really briefly, because we've been talking about it the whole hour. Yeah. Is, uh, awareness fragmentation is the denial of engagement with what I call the five portals. And you can look through the chakra system. You can look through the Enneagram. You can look through all this. What the five portals is body, mind, heart, spirit, and soul. And I use Thomas More's care of the soul model as soul being the more intimate expression of the, of the spirit, of the great awe and humility in relationship to the great mystery of life, right? But each of them have vibrational frequencies that require cultivating and connection to, and they have different vibrational frequencies. And my understanding of that is, is that when we're engaged, like I walk through my life, not feeling engaged with my body. I was a heart up kind of guy, heart, heart, voice, mind, but my body, I was very out of touch with. Thanks mm -hmm. to the work I do with Gabrielle Roth and open floor. There's a world that I communicate, do a lot of movement with movement has awakened my body engagement and it's totally upgraded my evolutionary journey. So frame awareness fragmentation is a way to avoid being connected to all that is inside of you and around you. Yeah, through the portals of knowing and, and the sensations of, that we receive in all those five portals. That's, mm -hmm. that's how I would define it. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you for joining us. And what a powerful hour. We're here with Gary Malkin. And I just want to leave you a quote with Victor Hugo, who said, music expresses that which cannot be put into words. I think you felt that with us today. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.